Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again, and thank you for tuning in with us. Stay with us, please, because we have a very interesting lesson today. Um, we have a very interesting Bible study today, and uh, I would like you to actually prepare and open the Bible in Revelation chapter 4, just to be ready, and you'll be with us as we uh, are going to look at this uh, study today. But before that, I would like to just uh, welcome uh, our panel here today, and uh, Helen, thank you for coming with us today. Thank you. It's a delight to be here and to share. And Ken, good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. Great to be here again. Len is our facilitator for today, and thank you, Len, for um, uh, preparing this. I will just welcome first, and I will hand um, the microphone right to you now. Yes, thanks, Nick, and hello, listeners. Last week, we studied Revelation chapter 3 about the messages delivered to the last six of the seven churches in Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor is in modern-day Western Turkey, at least the region that we're talking about. Each of those messages had an historical application to the churches established in those areas, but those messages also had a prophetic application to what happened in the worldwide church progressing through time right up to the present day. History bears out the validity of those prophecies. However, there is a third application, a personal one. The messages may apply to individuals and their own spiritual lives. The general message that applies to all the churches and to all us as individuals is to keep to the original pure teachings of the Bible and hang in there even when the going gets tough. This week, the scene changes from earth to heaven, from the human to the divine. Most of what we study this time is symbolic, although it has a literal application. Before we actually open our Bibles and begin the study, uh, Helen, would you pray for us and for the listeners, please? Yes, I'd love to. Thank you. Loving Heavenly Father, it is such a delight to open your word and to have the Holy Spirit enlighten us. Thank you for this great study we're about to embark on. Thank you that we can have just a glimpse of the reality of what it's like to be physically in the presence of God as John saw it in vision. I pray that you will... Just give us the wisdom to understand some of these symbols, Father, and especially to apply them to our lives, the lives of the panel here and to all the listeners that are listening today. Please bless us each one now, I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you, Helen. Ken, maybe you would like to open up this discussion by reading Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Surely, no worries. We're reading from the uh, King James Version. And uh, chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you these things which must be hereafter. Now, this begs the question, who said those words? Who spoke? Well, it was Jesus speaking these words. And if we look at uh, Revelation 3 and 14, 
again from the King James Version. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So the words spoken to John were, according to what you just read, spoken by none other than Jesus himself. That's correct, yes. Now, uh, John says in verse 1 there that you've just read, uh, something about a door standing open. What, what's that all about? Well, this is a door that's been opening, and so it's been opened for John, that so he could actually see into heaven and what was happening there and the court of God Almighty. In fact, um, and I agree with what you say, but I'd like to go a little bit further. John didn't just sort of see through, but he saw what was taking place in heaven. So this is a fantastic vision that he had, which we're sharing with you today. I mean, just uh, going a bit uh, further on uh, on that um, aspect of the door being open, uh, even uh, in our today language, you know, we use an opportunity, it's open, you know, a door, it's open. And even the Bible puts it in some other places, it says, a door, it's open, which nobody can shut. What that means, even in this uh, context with John, because the message which was given to John about the revelation of Jesus Christ, a very important message, which the churches today, all around the world, they don't pay much attention to the book of Revelation. But this is the door which has been opened. Yes, that's a good point, Nick. Thank you for that. Helen, here as we go through, it appears that John has been given a guided tour in the throne room of heaven. In the second part of that first verse that Ken just read, it talks of something more about what was the purpose of this vision that was given to him. What was it? I think it was it was interesting to me that he was given that invitation for a start just before we talk about that. It said, come up, come up hither, come and see this. And it was explained in verse 1, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. In other words, it was a prophecy. Yes, it was a prophecy. And a very important prophecy. Okay, mm. so it was referring to a future time. Uh, some of these things that he would see would refer to a future time. All right, now, Ken, you read verse 1. How about reading Revelation 4, verse 2? And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Okay, so what did he see? He saw uh, God sitting on the throne in heaven. Okay, he saw a throne, and somebody sitting on the throne, and Helen... I think Ken's already... He's just says, answered <laughs> what I was thinking of saying just then. Um, it was a ruler sitting on a throne. Symbolic of a throne is a ruler, isn't it? Yes. Uh, one who reigns over people. And I believe, as Ken said, that was referring to God the Father. Mm. Who mm. is the ruler, the ruler of the universe. <laughs> universe, everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and can I just add, that to me is, qu- is, is so important because we see this world and it looks like it's spinning out of control and yet we have God of creation. He is there on the throne and to me that tells me that he is in control. Mm. Yes, yeah. that's a good, it's a good thought to mm. keep in mind. 
I think that's a really important point, Helen, that you have uh, brought up there is the fact that the world does seem to be, well, the world is in a mess at the moment and I'm sure there are many, many people thinking what, what in heaven is going on here. But we know, reading from the scriptures, that God is in control of everything and all things are working to achieve what he wants to carry out. Okay. And the thing, can I just add yes, in yes. there too, on what your thoughts were, Ken, the thing is that we can trust God. He is in control, but we can trust him. If we look back through history and see how his promises have been, he is so faithful. You know, he's kept his promises and he is with us all the time. And he said he will be with us right through to the end. We can trust this God that is on the throne. Now you've just said something that I've thought about a lot. And I'm, this is my expression, and I've, I've prayed using this expression that we are safe with God simply because we can trust him. Mm. All right, now, what we've already learned so far, John saw what was going on in heaven. He saw a throne and somebody sitting on the throne. And then a further description is given. Nick, would you read Revelation 4 verse 3 and then describe that setting? Sure, Len. In Revelation um, verse 3 from chapter 40, I'm reading from uh, uh, NIV, says, And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Interesting that um, through this verse, we come across some uh, description of um, what was surrounding, you know, that room and the throne. And particularly I will pick up uh, one or two maybe. Uh, for example, the rainbow. It's so common for the Christians, you know, to understand that um, God promised, you know, after, uh, after the flood that he will not destroy uh, the humankind again. And the rainbow was a sign of God's protection, God's uh, uh, promise. And um, I'm trying to, to choose my words, but it's unfortunate when people are choosing this amazing uh, description you know, of who God is and using in their wickedness. Mm. You know, the rainbow, you know, it's used by a group of people as their logo, if you like, or their, their symbol mm. uh, of doing the wicked things on this earth. And God promised us through that thing that he will take care and as you just said Helen before and Ken and all of you guys about how God promised us now also Jasper and uh, other things you know uh, we may need to go a bit further to to study the significance and the symbolism of all those uh, precious things there and uh, I imagine myself it was an amazing thing because John himself was overwhelmed it was a glorious scene can I just add to that rainbow part, Nick, that you mentioned? I was reading uh, through a book the other day and it, it mentioned the rainbow represents the combination of justice and mercy that characterised God. Mm. I thought that was mm. a good statement, mm. yes. you know, the justice and mercy. In this case, mm. the rainbow was more like, if you've probably seen those, um, I've seen it once in my life, Aurora Borealis. No. I saw Aurora Australis, but if you've seen the auroras, you know how they've got that electric green sort yes. of colour? 
That's the image that I got when I was reading through, through this particular passage. All right, Helen. The throne was central to the scene. We've just read about that. What surrounded the throne? It says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crown of gold. Now it's interesting that when they talk about the seats, the actual original comes back to, um, or some of the versions I should say, say that these were thrones and they were occupied with twenty-four elders. Okay, so central to the scene was the throne on which God the Father was sitting with all these colours and glorious light. And then surrounding that, you have 24 other thrones, which the Bible says were occupied by 24 elders. Who are these elders, Helen? Well, in looking up different commentaries and what have you, there seems to be about four different possibilities that people have come up with. And um, just going through them fairly quickly, some say that it's human beings resurrected at the time of Jesus, uh, the redeemed, uh, symbolising the redeemed of all time. Um, and, and we have some references in the Bible in Matthew and Ephesians with that one. But another, another thought is it referred to the Levitical priesthood. 24 priests ministered in the earthly sanctuary and I actually found that very interesting to go back and look into Leviticus and see that it, it definitely mentions 24 and it, it breaks it all down and I, I found that extremely interesting um, that was in 1 Chronicles 24 another thought was it symbolic of God's chosen people Israel two elders from each tribe, one representing Israel patriarchs, one representing each of the 12 apostles. And again, I thought that was interesting because to me that would symbolise people before and after Christ's death and resurrection. So both Jews and Gentiles as being part of God's family. There is another thought here that uh, indicated that some people thought that they were angels. And later on in our study today, I believe that, um, Lynn, you will bring that more further as to why I personally don't believe it is angels. Mm. But we will look at that a little later. Hopefully that helps. Yes, what we come across later on suggests that it's probably number A or C together. Can I just mention though, I was looking and I'm thinking how does that affect us? How does that refer to us? Because I like to apply you know, to our situation and I thought about those 24 elders. To me it reminds me of the ultimate purpose of us as humans is to bring glory and honour to our creator and redeemer and that's literally what they were doing. But just uh, as Len, you were trying to suggest that yeah, it could uh, represent those uh, people who resurrected together with Jesus, uh, and maybe the the case. Uh, but the symbol behind it, which I believe uh, it's a very interesting um, combination of things there. Even uh, Helen, as you, point, as you pointed out, the twelve tribes, you know, of mm -hmm. Israel, the twelve disciples, you know, uh, Old Testament with all the priesthood. Because you mentioned 24 um, divisions. Uh, divisions, the priesthood there, the priesthood in heaven, for example, now through the uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, I personally believe that yeah, it's very possible to reflect those uh, two categories. And um, yeah, the Bible supports the resurrection of uh, uh, some people with uh, with Jesus Christ and. 
probably today is not the time to really go into that thing, but uh, yeah, that's my thought. Yes, when Christ rose from the dead, that there were others who raised from the dead too, and um, I believe there was about 500. You can read that, and I think it's in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm almost certain it's Matthew. Ken, other people have uh, discussed this, uh, what we're talking about today, and I, you have something that you might like to share with us. Yes, the fact that uh, the 24 elders were never mentioned before in the Bible I think implies that they are a new group in the heavenly throne room. They perhaps are the ones who uh, were raised from the dead at the time of Jesus, which actually, as you said, is in Matthew 27, 50, verse 51 to 53. Uh, and just touching that real, real quickly, uh, during that time the Bible clearly tells us that when Jesus uh, was arisen and went to heaven, there were uh, hundreds of people that were seen coming out of the tombs and they were raised with him. But anyway... If so, these 24 elders who assembled in heaven with Jesus become representatives of humanity to witness the fairness in God's actions in the realization of the plan of salvation. Again, in uh, Revelation 5, verse 9, the 24 elders, along with the four living creatures, verses 8, fall down and worship before the Lamb, who was slain and yet lives. This, of course, is Jesus we're referring to. Together they sing a new song, extolling the Lamb as the one who is worthy, because you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Again, this is referred to in Revelation 5, 8 to 10. Helen. Can you describe those elders? Because John describes them. Yes, he does. And it was in the same verse as, as I was reading before, Revelation 4, 4. It says that they were sitting and they were clothed in white raiment and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And what significance is there in those white clothing, the white clothes and the, the crowns of gold? Well, the white clothes, I believe, the white raiment, that's purity, that's the righteousness of Christ. They were clothed in his righteousness. And also on their heads, crowns of gold, the crown symbolizing victory. Mm. They were overcomers. Yes. But through, only not by themselves, only through Christ and the blood of Christ. Yes, Nick. Yeah, I was just going to reiterate on, on that thing, actually, that uh, clothed in white symbolized that they washed their uh, garments, if you like, in the blood of Jesus. Even those people before, Job, for example, he said, I know that my Redeemer, you know, will, will come, you know. Um, these people are uh, those people who believed in Jesus. Twelve represented always God's chosen people, number twelve. And in Israel, twelve, it's a very important number. For example, even 12,000 was the highest number. I like what you said. These were people who believed in Jesus, and you know, I believe it could even be hot today, but um, there's no conviction in that. But believing what you were, the sense of believing that you were mentioning was not just understanding, but it was being convicted that that was right and that what they needed to do. I just want to add to what you said about believing it's hot. You're sitting in an air-conditioned room at the moment and you believe it's hot outside. What makes a difference in your belief is to go outside and experience <laughs> that heat. 
and I believe, bringing it back to what you were saying, our belief in Christ is enlarged, if you like. We we have the belief because we get out there and we meet him in, in our studies and in our prayer, and so that belief becomes actual fact, mm. you know, and we can believe him like you going out in the heat today. I'd like to add to that, Helen. Also, of course, we have Jesus working in our lives, and I think for the majority of us, certainly many of us anyway, uh, he's constantly doing things for us and many of our prayers get answered and uh, there's so many things that happen to us and for us that we know comes directly from Jesus. What you said there, Ken, was I think also very important. We believe our prayers will be answered, but when they are answered, we still believe it, but we believe on a different level. And what Nick was referring to was believing is on a much deeper level. Yes. It's an experiential level yes. as, well, as well as being an intellectual level. Nick, we must progress. Would you read Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5? Sure, Len. It reads like this. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Okay, so it wasn't just visually bright and glorious, but there was more. What do you think, and this really I should apply to you, Nick, what do you think the lightning and thunder is symbolic of? Or anybody to answer that question. Yes, Helen. I believe it's symbolic of God's power and His Majesty. You think back to the, the when Moses got the the um, law from God, uh -huh. and there was lightning and thunder, and of course the people stood right back from the mountain. That was power. I mean, you go out in an electrical storm, and you know there is power. And to me, that's God. Uh -huh. He's powerful. He's majestic. Yeah. Mm. I'll just bring something here, uh, a little bit of a different aspect. For me, also as I experienced growing up in beautiful uh, country of Romania in the mountains of Transylvania, when lightning and thunder was majestic, but we know that after that rain is coming. To me, lightning and thunder, it's an anticipation of something coming up. And this is what we are going to look in the next uh, few minutes because there is really something going to happen here. It's an anticipation. Point. Okay. Well, mm, there were the seven blazing lamps, and there was this whole setting. There was a sea of glass there. It was described as a sea of glass. We must remember that John could only describe what he saw in terms and, and concepts that he was familiar with. So... Although it was um, talking about lightning and thunder, we've got a bit of a concept of that, but it might have been more that he couldn't really mm. describe. And mm. the rainbow he described as an emerald-coloured rainbow, etc., etc. He was restricted by the words that he could actually use. But anyhow, let's move on. Ken, between the throne and the ring of elders, the 24 elders around the throne... What else did John see? Would you mind reading Revelation 4, verse 6 through to 8? Sure, starting at 6. And before the throne 
there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf and the third beast had a face as a man and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying holy 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 lord god almighty which was and is and is to come yes now both the prophets ezekiel and isaiah had similar visions which are described slightly differently but there is a um, commonality about what they wrote with these uh, york version says beasts i would like to say beings what do you think is the significance of them being completely covered in eyes? Well, I think most people would agree the eyes are the windows of the world, but it's a symbolic meaning, of course, and we believe that means intelligence, because they're seeing everything, and ceaseless diligence, or always watching out for what's happening or what's coming or what's going to happen. Yes course I've had a bit to do with the opal industry over the years and you could describe some of those beautiful opals as looking a bit like eyes but I think what's described here is not opals. No I don't think so. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it actually is actual eyes. Remember a lot of this stuff is symbolic and uh, what you said there was I think important that symbolic of intelligence and constant vigilance if you like nothing surpasses nothing gets past the knowledge of god now helen there were four types of beings there describing what they looked like at least what their faces were like would you like to share what you know about this yeah i i found this really interesting because if we if we link it up with Ezekiel's vision in Ezekiel 1 5 to 10 there is there is similarities all the way along and as I mentioned before I, be, I believe that the four living beings represent the attributes or the qualities and the character of God and we see that as we look and see um, he talks about a lion and a lion is majestic it's powerful isn't it and it has all the might and it talks about an ox well we look at an ox we think of strength we think of service and I actually think of faithfulness with with an ox and to me that's God and and also it talks about the man or the human as in the intelligence and the wisdom and who has more wisdom than God none the eagle on the other side of the coin that was the other one the eagle to me is freedom it's courage it's sovereignty mm. it's 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 powerful you know if you if you study what an eagle is like and and of course with with the wings you know it's it's important that that message gets out quickly you know the speed of it all so i, I just found it is absolutely fascinating to look at those four different ones each of them being each of those beings praised 
God for his glory, his honor, and his eternal power. And, and God is to be praised on all kinds of levels by those he has created. And he's the one that we need to worship. Don't worship the crea- creature or the things made by man. Let's just make sure that we worship this this God who is powerful and faithful and you, you know and sovereign and what have you I, I, and intelligent. I can't describe it. I'm like John. I'm I'm short of words here. <laughs> right. Awesome, awesome. Uh, I like what you said there that these beings represented what God was like. And yet, in, an, in another aspect, they represent those who worship God. Some of us have different experiences than others. Some um, might perhaps, and I'll just use an example here, it might be a very good one, but somebody might simply worship God because of his saving grace. Others might worship God not only because of his saving grace, but because of his wisdom. Uh, others might worship God because of his power as creator hopefully in my own experience I would like to say I worship God on all of those different levels Lynn, it reminds you talked about opals before. I think of diamonds you know, girl's best friend, diamonds and I think of the different facets of a diamond that makes it valuable and and I look at at God like that, you know, different facets, and 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 Jesus, he had different parts to his ministry, and to me, it's like the diamond that shines. Oh. We can see all different sides. I was uh, going to point out and also another aspect. Just uh, remember, uh, through this study, we are talking about that worthy is the Lamb. But why do we talk about all these things, and particularly about the Book of Revelation and the vision? Because this was given to us, to human beings, to do what Jesus expects us to do, that great work of spreading out the good news, the gospel, that nobody should perish, but have eternal life. And through those four characteristics, I just want to say, you know, we are called as God's messengers to be with the power of the lion, with the tenacity of the oaks to carry this gospel flying like an eagle rapid we don't have time to muck around to use these words you know we don't have time now to relax and sit back we have we have to go very strongly with the power of this uh, this message now and i will come to the third one as man was described you know what i was thinking just in the last few days and weeks that god promised to us that his coming is soon and he described how that will happen and through the description he used a lot of uh, uh, signs you know and say look when you'll see this happening in you know, a wars and when you see uh, famines and when you see this and that you know that the, the time it's near but one thing is significant about men about us because it says but when the gospel will be preached to the end of the world, then Jesus will come. And you know that thing depends on us. Mm. Everything else, God will take control. All the things in this world which men cannot contribute to, to them. But this is the only thing which God entrusted us to spread the gospel to the end of the world. Are we recognizing that great call? Mm. Nick, I'd just like to add something to that as well. 
I know there's many people out there in the world and they have Christian people come in tell, uh, to them to tell them the message and I believe sometimes they think, oh, they only want, want us to join their church or do whatever. But the fact of the matter is that the majority of Christians who know the scriptures realize that there is a day coming of judgment and that the return of Jesus is not that far away. And these people actually care for you. That's why they're trying to share the message of Jesus with you. They realize what's coming, and they want you to be saved. It's not for their own good they're doing this. It's not for the church they're doing this. It's for you. I actually wanted to slip back to what you said before, um, Len, about not only the attributes of God, but, you know, it's attributes that we too need to have. And I was thinking about what you said. You know, if you if you have a friend and you spend time with that friend, you tend to become a little bit like that friend. You know, you pick up some of their idiosyncrasies or whatever. And, and I believe that the way that we actually end up with the character of God working in and through us is as we spend time with him, rub shoulders with him, so to speak, uh, and hope and pray that his character comes through in us. There is a saying, by beholding, we become changed. And that applies to, as we relate to God and to his word. The prophet Isaiah had a bit similar vision. He didn't actually call these beings beasts as is in in the King James Version would you read Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 3 sure Len again I'm reading from NIV which is a new international version in the year that King Uzzah died I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphims each with six wings with two wings they cover their face with two they cover their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory Mm. here these beings were not called beasts or they looked like beasts they were called seraphs or seraphims does anybody know what seraphs or seraphims are angels what? yes yeah actually shining shining angels. angels shining angels I mean, that's interesting when you ask that question, because um, uh, we have more description about the seraphims more into the temple. You know, when we talk about the description of the most holy place and uh, when we talk about the angels, we know more about the messengers. Angels represents a bit more like being a messenger. But the seraphim, they were particularly uh, mentioned in the Bible for the to sanctify a place, you know, to be in the presence of the Lord there. And that's why it's mentioned here that they, day and night, they uh, praise God and sing, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. Very significant in these two categories, you know, because seraphims and, and messengers. Now, we are more part, if you like, as a human beings, on the role of the angels, because we are messengers too, to spread the gospel. We probably call seraphims attendants. That's with an A-N-T-S, A-N-T-S, attendants. Those who attend to the needs 
and in this case the seraphims or the four living creatures as they were otherwise described always remained in the presence of God. Now Helen, when these four beings praised God what else happened? You can read that in Revelation 4, 10 and 11. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to read it. Thank you. It says here, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Um, I thought about this text too and I, you know, I have people saying, well, how can they do that all the time? But I think I've mentioned this in a study before. When I went up in a hot air balloon, I was so taken by the whole scene, the quietness and what have you, I kept saying the one word over and over again, you know, it's, it's awesome, you know, and it was either awesome or it's amazing. Yes. And my mother got to the stage, she said, if you say that once more, I'm going to tip you out of the, the oh, basket. Okay. But that was all that came to my mind. And I see the four and 20 elders as praising God. They, they, it's, it said here, they fall down before him. They cast their crowns at him. You know, they, they were just completely enveloped in praising him. So were they praising him for his glory or what were they praising him for? Well I think verse 11 gives us that clue it says that yes he is worthy but it says for thou hast created all things he is the creator of all things everything. There isn't anything that was created that he didn't he didn't create. You know he created them. When I was in high school I was awarded a book for service to the school and I could go and choose my own book and I chose a book about inventors and the inventions and as a young teenager I was amazed that these people came up with these ideas and we are constantly surrounded by things that people have invented however if you think about the glory of God in, in, in creating worlds, creating life, creating all the variety of life, there's a fair bit to uh, praise him for. Anyhow, we're going to move on to Revelation chapter 5. Ken, would you read the first four verses of Revelation 5, please? Sure. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book, and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open the book, and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Now this must have been a pretty special book because it wasn't just anybody could open the book or the scroll it was a scroll, the, the sort of books we use these days are called codex but uh, there was something very special about this book which we'll talk about in a moment so what was the problem? Well the issue was that looking around heaven and on earth in fact everywhere that God had created no one was found to be able to open this scroll Yes, and the reason was that there was nobody worthy 
So not the four living creatures, not the 24 elders. Nobody was there worthy. Now, Helen, this mm. scroll was written front and back. It reminds me of letters sometimes where people have afterthoughts and they add this and it's written down the side and all over the place. What was written on the scroll? Now, this has been an interesting question and I believe you have a statement which I think answers this question. Yeah, yes, I do. But just before I go into the statement, let me just mention that I was studying about the scroll and most of the scrolls were 30 feet long. And the reason it went, it usually was on one side, but the reason it was on the back as well is because it was a long uh, message that was given. And um, I was reading also where it says, the Greek text indicates that the scroll was lying on the throne at the right hand of the Father. It waited for the one who was worthy to take it and to loose, loose its seals. And there is an author that wrote, the sealed scroll contains the history of God's providences, the prophetic history of nations and the church, and herein was contained the divine utterances, his authority, his commandments, his laws, the whole symbolic counsel of the eternal, and the history of all ruling powers in the nations. And in symbolic language was contained in that role the influence of every nation, tongue, and people from the beginning of Earth's history to its close. So in short, the sealed scroll contains the mystery of God regarding his plans to solve the sin problem Problem and to save fallen human beings and the full realisation of that mystery that will not occur until the second coming of Christ oh, it will, will occur at yes. the second coming of Christ yes. absolutely thank, thank you very much yeah. Ellen because I believe that's important that there in the, at this stage of the proceedings nobody was worthy however something happens Nick could you read Revelation chapter 5 verses 5 through to 7 Shoreland. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Okay. So there was somebody described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Hmm. This adds... Uh, a clue to solving the mystery. Now, who actually announced that this person who was worthy, this being who was worthy, was of the lion of the tribe of Judah? Well, the answer was it was one of the 24 elders. How would he know? This, I believe, adds credibility to what we were discussing earlier. Who were these 24 elders? This, I believe, and I think we as a panel understand, that this was one of those who was resurrected at the time of Jesus and it was taken to heaven to, if you like, stand there as representatives of the rest of the nation and so on. He knew the one who saved him. That was the point I was going mm. to come to. Thank you for saying that. All right, so... It was talking about the Lion of the tribe of Judah and talks about the root of David. Helen, who is the root of David? Well, I believe that the root is, is the main part of the tree and to me the root is Christ. If you think of a tree and you think of the root, you think of the trunk, you think of the branches, 
Christ is the primary one. He is the root. David is secondary. He is the trunk. And then we are the branches. Mm. You know, and to me that kind of, you know, shows me that Christ is the root of David. Because without the root and the root system in a tree, the tree dies. There's no tree. There is no tree. It needs to get all its nutrients through that. And we need to get our nutrients, spiritual nutrients, through Christ, the root. Okay. Ken, would you read um, a little bit more for us about this line of the tribe of Judah from Genesis 49.9? Sure. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Okay, so the lion was basically the symbol of the tribe of Judah. And Judah is the, if you like, the uh, root word from which we get the nation, the Jews. Well, what way had this lion of the tribe of Judah triumphed, Ken? Uh, well, this is Jesus, of course, we're talking about. And firstly, he lived a sinless life. He also defeated Satan Satan, and all that Satan was trying to overcome him. And he also did the will of the Father. Okay. Uh, Nick, in John's vision, what did the lion look like? Now, it was described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but what it says what he looked like. looks like a, a slain, slain lamb and has seven horns, seven eyes, being in the middle of the throne. Okay, so this lion looked like a slain lamb. Well, I think we're getting now pretty close to identifying, well, I think we know who this lion of the tribe of Judah is. It's Jesus Christ, of course. Now, he was standing in the center of the throne. Nick, what does that indicate? I mean, indicates the ownership, if you like, is uh, Jesus is God. Jesus is part of that. Yeah, God, uh, Jesus is part of this Godhead. Even though Jesus represents as, um, represents us there so much because he's been before us through all the suffering and all the struggles and all the, yeah, hardship. Okay. Now, it's interesting. We're talking about this lion of the tribe of Judah, this apparent slain lamb, was standing in the in the middle of the throne. He was standing. Helen, is there any significance about him standing? I believe so, in the fact that I'm, I've read that when he went to heaven, back to his father, that he sat down at the right hand of God. And now he is going to stand up again. So for me, on the cross and in the grave, he couldn't stand because he gave his life. He laid down his life for lost sinners. But now he stands as the victor. Mm. He stands as a victor, the operative one in the operation to save lost mankind. He stands to receive honour for who he was and for what he did. He stands as high priest to administer forgiveness for the repentant and judgment for the unrepentant. I believe there will be a time he will stand up and say, that's it, my people are sealed, 
he that is just remain just, he that is unjust will remain unjust, mm. and he will stand again. Okay. Mm. Now, Ken, what happens next? Sure. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden veils full of odours, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So, Ken, why did they sing? They were singing because Jesus had been slain, and they had been, because his blood was spilt, these people had been saved through his sacrifice. Yes. Now, Nick, would you read Revelation chapter 5? We're in chapter 5 now, verses 11 through to 14. Sure, Len. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They circled the throne and the living creature, and the elders, in a loud voice, they sang, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Now here, we Ken was just reading about how the uh, living creatures and the 24 elders were singing, but here angels are singing. Nick, why would the angels sing? They never sinned. It's a good question, Len, uh, but I believe they, all of them experienced the great you know, conflict in heaven in between uh, Jesus and the enemy, Satan, which in the end ended up Satan to be cast down from heaven. Even though they haven't sinned, but they saw the impact of sin. And now, for all this time, they were waiting, you know, for the redeemed. And Jesus was the one who stepped out to pay the ransom, if you like. And I believe they have all the reason of of praising God and singing for what's going to take place that uh, that in that throne room. Yes. Now, when you read these songs, these songs of praise, who is being praised? Nick? He mentions that the, the Lamb, you know, uh, the Father, uh, the one who is sitting on the throne, uh, the Lamb who is able to open the seal is, uh, is going to be praised. All right. Lynn, yes, can I just add that if you think about heaven and when Christ died on that cross, heaven was silent you know, witnessing what Christ went through for us. And then there was the rescue mission. He raised up from the tomb. He was back with his father. They have just cause to be praising and singing. The rescue mission was successful. And here Jesus was once more with them. Beautiful scenes. If you read those verses, it wasn't just the angels who also joined in this song. It was basically the whole universe. Yes. There are plenty of reasons to sing because sin has put a blot on the creation of God. Mm. But when sin is removed, as Christ has removed sin and will be ultimately removed, 
then there is no blot in the universe. So there is reason for the universe to rejoice. Well, Helen, would you read Revelation 5 verse 13 again? Yes, I, I would. But just before I do, can I mention verse 12? Because I think verse 12 is, is what you would think would be the doxology. You know, that it's sevenfold doxology. And, and seven, of course, represents, as we, we know, perfection or completion. And it's used repeatedly throughout this whole vision. And, and it's a sevenfold praise that implies that the praise of heaven is complete and perfect. And then it goes on to verse 13, and it talks about all creation joining in that adoration of the Father and Son. It says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever I believe at that point that all creation will finally recognise the righteousness of God it is going to be an amazing um, choir if you like. I just can't imagine it again I'm lost for words but yeah you know, this has a very interesting application. You and I, and you listeners, are all part of God's creation. And here we have a scene where John records all creation singing to the glory of God. I have a question for you. Are you one of those who will be able to sing to the glory of God? What about you, Nick? Yeah, then that's uh, the question of question uh, for all humanity, and obviously for us here too. That's what we're doing. What we're doing even here today to share in this gospel because we are so overwhelmed by uh, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, and we cannot uh, but just sing and praise God, sing glory to His name, and praise Him. Um, interesting that early in the study we talked about that the angels day and night, you know, and the seraphim day and night, you know. In the Bible says that uh, um, pray without ceasing. And we think, how can I pray without ceasing? You know, I mean, I had to go to work, I had to drive the car, I had to do other things. Uh, but actually, our mind to be focused on this thing or what happened for us, you know, the redemption, which is, you know, undescribable. And we need to, and the angels, even though they haven't experienced uh, that uh, sin themselves, but they could see the effects of sin, um, they, they are praising God. They are worshipping God. And one thing which I picked up, that the 24 elders, they fall on their knees when they saw all these things happening. And the, uh, who was worthy to come and open the, the scroll and so on, they fall on their knees. And sometimes I'm thinking as myself as a, you know, a sinful man on this earth. Sometimes we are so uh, boastful, proud of ourselves and do things, you know, on, on our own power and we don't realize that we are nothing. We are nothing without God and with, with not knowing God. Yes, thank you, Nick. 
Helen, yes, are you one of those who can <laughs> sing praises to the glory of God and oh, shout amen? Absolutely, absolutely. On this earth, yes, we're told to rejoice continuously, you know, rejoice always. And every day we can find someone to pr- something to praise him for. I know that in my own life. And I believe that it would be like, like you know, Enoch got closer to, to, the, to going home with God and so he went and it was just na- normal for him. I believe that while we glorify God on this earth and we praise him and we're focused on him, it will be just second nature. You know, we will finally see him. We will spend eternity with him. That, to me, is just the most wonderful, wonderful picture in my head that we can glorify him on this earth by everything we do and everything we say. But in heaven, we're going to be in his presence Mm. and we will glorify him there. Okay, Ken, we're coming around to you. (laughs) Are you one of those who can sing praises and glory to God and shout amen? Well, I'm afraid... Len, I can't actually sing very well. If I was to do that, I think everyone would leave. But anyway, I certainly praise God. He's been absolutely amazing to me over my life. And uh, I'm always in total amazement. And I just cannot understand why the Lord has been so good to me. So, yes, it is an honor and a great thing to praise my Heavenly Father. And I would like to suggest... No, I'm not suggesting. I want to say, yes... I want to sing praises to my God because I appreciate what he has done for me. Listeners, as saved sinners, we have every reason to praise God for what he has done for us. We're going to finish now with prayer. Ken, would you pray, please? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are so thankful that we've had this wonderful opportunity today to send your message out all over the air to people everywhere to hear the gospel. We pray, Heavenly Father, that many of these people, Lord, would open their their minds and open their hearts and search out some of these things, Heavenly Father, that we've been sharing with them. We know, Lord God, you want to save everybody that's on the earth, that you love all of us. And we just thank you, Lord God, for the wonderful opportunity you you continue to give us to share your gospel to everyone We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, uh, panel. Uh, This was uh, a study which we could go over and over. Uh, But um, thank you for uh, you staying with us for the whole time, our listeners there. And I pray that God will bless you. And um, don't forget to tune back with us uh, next week for another amazing study from Revelation. Until then, may God bless you.